The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, take your Bibles with me this morning. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to continue our study in the Great Commission. And um, I'll do a little review here while you're turning there and uh, while the ushers are distributing the, the, the study sheets. Uh, we talked about the Great Commission, the commission that God has given us to be witnesses unto all men, all man, and all men, mankind. And first week we talked about the expectations within the commission. We talked about the fact that God expects us to go, and then when we go, He expects us to preach, and when we when we preach, He expects the people will be saved, and then we are to teach these people. And uh, we talked about that. We talked secondly about the empowering force in the commission. And the power behind the commission is Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, our, our sovereign God. And then the third, uh, the next week, we talked about the effectualness of the commission. And we talked about the fact that the Great Commission will accomplish what the Lord has ordained it to accomplish. God's word does not come back to him void. Everything that God says will shall be. And you and I can do nothing to prevent the will of God. We can only we can only do things to further the will of God. We cannot prevent the will of God. And then we talk next about the augmentation of the commission, and that is we talked about the the uh, exponentiation of the saints, and we talked about the establishment of the church and the ministry uh, through the through the commission. Then uh, last week, last time I met with you, we talked about the altruistic nature. Of the great, of the commission, we, th- we said that the nature of the commission is that it's an act of sacrificial love and, and you and I, in order to further the gospel, we must sacrifice our time, our, our, our talent, our comforts, things such as that. We talked about the fact that it was an offering of a selfless life. No selfishness, not, not, not worried more about ourselves than we are about God's will and God's purpose and those around us. And then we talked about the fact that it was the commitment of a sanctified liberty. And we, we looked a little bit at how Paul talked about being free from all men, yet servants unto all. And though we have liberty, we, we looked at the fact that that, that that liberty needs to be sanctified uh, for the purpose of God. And not, not just so that we can have fun, so that we can do all the things we want to do, but that liberty should be sacrificed on the altar to the Lord. Uh, Paul reminded us in the book of Romans that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. So today I would like to continue our study in the Great Commission by looking at number six, the implementation of the Great Commission, the implementation of the Commission. Let's look at First Peter chapter 1. And I'll, I'll read uh, through verse 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, uh, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth observed in you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, 
through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now look at verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would instruct us in our hearts and minds, encourage us and lift us and and challenge us and convict us to be more for Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I looked at verse 16 and started backing up to try to find a starting point, to read, I just, I just uh, couldn't, I had to go all the way back to verse 1. Because the Word of God is so, so, it's woven together so, so intricately. It's hard to just pull a scripture out and say, okay, this is it. But we see here, um, Peter's admonition to these people to live holy lives. To be holy because God is holy. To be holy because we've been called to holiness and all these things. But today I want to talk to you about the implementation of the Great Commission. Now, the definition of implementation is the act of implementing, providing a practical means for accomplishing something or carrying into effect. The root word in implementation is the word implement. Now, this word can serve as either a verb or a noun. And both definitions of the word implement are applicable to the context of our study today. The definition as a verb would be to apply in a manner consistent with its purpose or design. And here we see the truth that we're to implement the commission according to the methods that God has dictated to us uh, in order that we would accomplish his purpose in the great commission. And, of course, our example uh, in this method is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is to this end that we as a church are going through the training videos that we're watching um, so that we will learn to witness in the way of the master. That we will learn to conduct ourselves in the way that Jesus did. So uh, the implementation of the Great Commission doesn't need to be some unique, fantastic, super uh, attractive thing that we have to come up with in order to make people come to church. Um, I, I believe we ought to have a nice building and keep our building in good shape and keep it clean. Our property needs to be kept clean because it's a good testimony. However, it doesn't matter if you hang golden chandeliers in here. That will not attract one person to salvation. It's not, it's not that, those things that, that work. It's, it's the word of God. It's the preaching of the gospel that, that reaches into the heart and soul of men. And we must make sure that we continue that. But more to the point today, I would like to look at the word implementation as it is defined as a noun. 
And here we see that it is definition is instrumentation, a piece of equipment or tool, a tool. That's the word I want to use. Used to affect an end. My father was a, was a carpenter throughout his life. And more than just a carpenter, he was a, he was a craftsman, a master craftsman. My father was a furniture builder. And he could he could take wood. He could take an ugly tree in your backyard and he could chop that thing down. He could cut it down into boards and he could he could take that that ugly tree and produce a beautiful piece of furniture. He was a craftsman. Now, he built houses. And and of course, when you build a house, you use framing tools and a framing hammer doesn't need to be pretty. And it doesn't matter if the face of a face of a framing hammer is scratched or scarred. Because when you're framing, you're not, you're not worried about what the wood piece of wood looks like when you're finished hammering it. But when he got into the intricate work in the house, the moldings and the cabinetry, he went into the truck and pulled out his hammer, his finishing hammer, which, by the way, he kept in a nylon stocking. He'd, he'd stick it in a stocking and, and tie it up keep the moisture off of it and everything else. And that hammer, you look at the, at the head of that hammer and you, you could see yourself in it. It was like a mirror, smooth, not a scratch on it. If it ever got damaged, he, he got rid of it and got a new one. Why? Because the finished work is important. It, 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 you don't want to scar it up with a, with a, with a hammer that's all scarred up. It's, it's a usable tool. And all the tools that he used... For the finished work in the house, the intricate work, were all separate tools from what he had for the framing work and, and the heavy construction. Now, I talk about that this morning because you and I are God's tools. We are the tools that God uses in the Great Commission. And we need to be the good tools. We need to be the kind of tools that, that God will use in that finished work. You know, if we, if we don't make sure that we're quality tools, then we will produce shoddy work when it comes to the, to the intricate work of the ministry of the church. So this should be our prayer today. Our prayer today should be that we are a tool, a useful tool to the master builder. But how can we be such a tool? I mean, there's no, nothing within us that will cause us to be usable to God. So how can we be such a tool? What will it take for you and I to be the kind of tool in the hand of, of the craftsman that, that he desires to have to do his work? Well, it's going to take a life that conforms certainly to the expectations of God the Father. Allow me this morning, if you would, we're going we're gonna to begin today. We won't finish this session, but we'll, we'll look at this a little bit, the, the implementation of the, of the commission. We're going to look at a couple of observations today from the Word of God on this subject matter. So number one today, I'd like to say that if we are going to be a usable tool to God, then we are going to have to walk worthy of our Father. We are going to have to walk worthy of our Father. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, Paul writes, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily... And justly and unblameably, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Now, notice what Paul says here. He said, God is, his, is even his witness that he behaved himself appropriately among the people of God. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye should walk worthy of God 
who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. If you and I are going to be a tool that's usable to the master builder in the, in the intricate work of the gospel ministry, we are going to have to conduct ourselves in our life in a manner worthy of the Father. Now, the word worthy here, I think, can be better understood if we define it as befitting or becoming. In other words, something that's appropriate or something that's proper. That's the kind of life we should live. We should conduct ourselves in an appropriate manner, in a proper manner at all times, in all situations and circumstances. Now, certainly there is nothing of worth in you nor I. We know that. We can never, by our own power, be worthy of Christ. Paul stated in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul said, I'm no good. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing by my own nature that's worthy of the Father, that's worth having. And he, he, he goes on to say, uh, for to will is present with me. Or in other words, I want to do right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. You ever experienced that in your life? I remember before I was saved, I remember times when I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew it's not what I should do. But I just didn't seem to have the ability to stop doing it. I, maybe I could stop for a little while. Maybe I could stop for a short time. But I always drifted back to that behavior because I had no control over the flesh. I had no control over it. So we understand that it is by God's grace and his work, God's work of sanctification, that we are able to overcome our flesh and conduct my life in a manner befitting or appropriate for a child of the king, a child of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, Paul states, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul said, I shouldn't even be an apostle, because I was the one running around persecuting the church. I was the one jailing Christians and killing Christians. I was the one trying to destroy the work of the Lord. I have no business being an apostle. And he goes on, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Do you realize that none of us here today are worthy to be children of God? I'm not worthy to be God's child. There's nothing in my life, past, present, or even future, that makes me worthy to be a child of God. It is but by the grace of God that I am what I am. If you are here this morning and, and you, you have a, you're a Christian, it's by God's grace that you're saved. If you're here today and you have the ability to, to, to teach a lesson like this, it is but by God's grace. If you're here today and you can sing in the choir, it's by God's grace. Don't get to the point where we start to think we're something special. We better be careful about that. We better be careful about becoming too haughty in ourselves and, and smug in our own in our own accomplishments. We have no accomplishments. Anything we are do anything we do good and right is by the grace of God. So Paul says, I am but by God's grace I am what I am. So I don't I don't live a life that is deserving of God's acceptance. You and I, you and I don't, don't conduct ourselves by our, by our own power in such a way that God is pleased by what we do. I could never do this in my flesh. Yet, not because of what I can do, but rather because of what Christ has done for me. 
It's because of this that I am empowered to live a life, an appropriate life, one that is befitting under the name of God. There are lots of people running around in this country trying to, trying to conduct their lives worthy of God, and they're trying to do it outside of the sanctification of God. They're trying to do it outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Listen, every day we, we need to come to the point where we say, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm weak and, and I fail, but, but Father, you need to strengthen me. You need to instruct me. Holy Spirit, you need to guide me. We need to submit ourselves to the, to the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is what it means to walk worthy of Christ. Too many are trying to do what they cannot do. Because they do not understand what God necessarily means when he instructs us to walk worthy of him. God's not saying walk worthy of me and then, and then he expects that you're going to be able to do that on your own. It's, it's, in, it's under his guidance. It's under his Holy Spirit. It's because of his grace. It's by his hand. That we do what we do. And, and if we're going, you know, it's not the tool. When my father built a piece of furniture, it wasn't the tool that was building the furniture, was it? Who was building the furniture? The craftsman. He was building the furniture. But the craftsman needs tools to build the furniture. And he selects tools that are appropriate. You follow me? How many of you say, I want to be a tool? That God uses. Raise your hand. Let me see it. Don't be ashamed. If you don't, if you don't mean, don't raise your hand. Well, he's going to select appropriate tools. My daddy didn't have the seek. He didn't coin the, the market on building furniture. He didn't. He didn't. He just selected appropriate tools. He wasn't going to go grab a, a use a sixteen pound mallet to dry finish nails and a piece of furniture. No, he was going to go and find a nice. 10 or 12 ounce hammer, one that, one that was nice and clean and had a good, a good flat surface. He was going to pick the appropriate tool to do the work he needed. I want to, listen, I want to be a servant of God. I want God to use me in his work. So I need to make sure that I'm a, I'm an appropriate tool. So I need to live my life consciously aware that God has equipped me, that God has empowered me to do that. And then I must consciously make decisions that will keep my life worthy of God's usage. Before we do anything, we need to stop and consider whether or not it is appropriate for us to do. In America, Christians just blindly act. They make, they make impulse decisions. And they don't consider the consequences of their actions. And before we do anything, before we say anything as a child of God, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this appropriate? Is this worthy of the Father? Will this keep me as a usable servant or will it disqualify me from being able to serve the Lord? And if, it, if the answer is yes, then don't do it, no matter what it may be. We're too worried in America about satisfying our senses. We're too worried in America about, about pleasing our eyes. You know, you know, the Bible says your eye never fill, never gets full. You can never satisfy your eyes. Your eyes will always look for more. You never, you can never get enough things. Paul said, many people suppose that gain is godliness. But he said, I'll tell you what's godly. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. 
And when we learn to be happy with what God has given us, knowing that he gives us all that we need, and when we learn to be content with all the situations in our life, no matter how unpleasant they may be, you know, right now I'm living the life that God wants me to live. He knows what situations I am, I'm in in my life. He, he, he's got his caring hand upon me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to leave me. I don't need to forsake God to try to pursue some course in life that God may not even want me to pursue. So we need to learn this and we need to, we need to learn how to walk worthy of the Father, to walk with, with an awareness and, and to, to conduct our lives, our lives befitting of God. Not that we can do that on our own, but that God has enabled us. He's empowered us by His sanctification and by His Holy Spirit. God has enabled us to live that kind of life if we will simply exercise our choices. So first, if we will be able to be used of God to implement the Great Commission, we will have to walk worthy of the Father. But then secondly, this morning, I'd like to look at the fact that we are to walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 15 through 17, Paul writes, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, again, as, I, as with the word worthy, there are two thoughts that I believe defines walking circumspectly. Two words. First is the word heedful. And secondly is the word disciplined. Heedful and disciplined, I believe, appropriately define what it means to walk Circumspectly. The implications Paul makes in this passage of Scripture leads me to believe that foolish men walk carelessly. They, they walk or, or they live as if there are no consequences for their actions, as if there is no accountability to be considered for what they do. I mean, th- this is obvious to me. Otherwise, People would never say, well, I, I don't go to church because the weather's too nice. Duh. Who in the world would say something like that if they have wisdom? Wouldn't wisdom dictate that because God has been so gracious to us to give us such wonderful things, we should take that one day of the week and go and worship him? You see, men, men behave foolishly because they're not heedful of the word of God. They're not heedful of, of God's commands. They're not heedful of God's expectations. Otherwise, they wouldn't make such foolish statements as, well, God understands why I'm not there. No, 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 no. He doesn't understand why you're not. He, he knows why you're not there. But he doesn't understand it because he expects you to be here. Amen? God expects his children to come and worship him. So we behave as fools. We become as fools, Paul says. We, we, we reason and we make, we make decisions because we're not heedful to the, to the, to the fact that God is our sovereign king. And, and, and we're not heedful to the fact that we've been purchased with a price. Imagine if you went down and bought your TV and brought it home and hooked it up and turned it on and a message came up that said, I don't feel like playing right now. Uh, you know, if you turn to the ball game and it comes up and says, I don't like sports. Hey, wait a minute. I bought you. I have a right to decide what channel you're going to be on. Huh? 
Hey, you know what? God purchased me. God, God, he elected me in eternity past and he purchased me with his shed blood. I'm his possession. I'm his, I'm, I'm his. I belong to him. Sunday is not my day. I can't choose what I'm going to do on that day. I can't. I can. There's a consequence for that. Oh, but I don't want to pay the consequences now. See, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do what I want to do, what I deem more important than being in your house, but I don't want any consequences for it now. No consequences. Well, I'm sorry, but there are consequences. And you need to be heedful of these. They live as if there's no accountability. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. And there will be a time of counting. And God will call us before him. And we will have to answer for all of these things. You see, God does have expectations for us. And he will hold us accountable for every action in our life. Every one of them. Even Jesus said, for every idle word we speak, in Matthew twelve thirty six, we read, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And every, every, every idle word we speak, Every thought we've had, we'll have to, we'll have to give account for that. My attention is then drawn to the statement in verse 16 Paul made where he stated, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. God has a definite plan for each one of us. He has a purpose for each of us. You know, you weren't, you weren't born and then God looked down and said, uh oh, what are we going to do with him? Uh, let's, let's figure something out. Let's let's try to find some purpose for this person. Uh, God already ha- God knows you were born with a purpose and God has a purpose for every one of us here. It may be to just be a faithful church member and, and tithe. It may be it is it, definitely his purpose for all of us to be a witness unto other men. It may be to be a preacher. It may be to play the piano or the organ. Now, if I sat down at that piano or that or that clavinova, it would not be beautiful music. I might hit a right note every now and then, but it would be purely by accident. But Melissa and, and Lucy back here and Catherine uh, and uh, others of you, God has given you the, the talent to, to sit there and, and make beautiful music with the piano. God has a purpose for everybody here. Now, let me ask you this morning, are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you trying to, are you, are you looking for that purpose? Far too many people just come to church and sit there and, and don't even, don't even pray and don't even seek that God would reveal to them His purpose for them so that they could use that, their abilities to, to, to serve in the church. God has a purpose for us. And not only does He have a purpose for each of us, but He has allotted us a finite amount of time in which to accomplish that purpose. Each one of us, it is appointed, the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die. There's an appointment for your death. God knows when it's going to be. He knows the exact moment and the exact circumstance of our death. And he has allotted us, he has given us a certain amount of time, and that time is sufficient enough to do what he's called us to do. So when we stand before him, we will have to account for each moment of time that he, he gave us. 
You ever think about that? I mean, we all know we're going to stand before God in judgment. But did you think about the fact that when we're doing what we shouldn't do, we're wasting time that God has given us that we should do what we should do? You ever think about that? Every moment of this allotted time is exchanged for what we do. This is why we must be circumspect, Paul says, with our time. He said, walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. Being being heedful of how we spend our time. Being disciplined in how we spend our time. What we do with the time that God has given us. What you do may be... They may not be necessarily wrong, the things you do. Maybe they're not wrong things. But was it used, was the time used for God's glory? And was it used according to his purpose? Well, you'd say, but you know, if I follow this philosophy, it means I'm never going to have any time for myself. Uh, duh. We're back to your purchased possession. Huh? You, you, you want the benefits of salvation, but you don't want the responsibility of childship, of the relationship? Listen, you know, you know how I, how I, I look at it? I, I, I have eternity to do what, to, to, to just have no responsibility. I have all eternity waiting for me one day where God will let me explore the universe and, and of course we'll be, we'll be obligated to worship Him. Not obligated, we'll choose to do so. I better use my words, choose my words more carefully. But you'd say, oh, now wait a minute, you know, I mean, what about, what about vacations and what about, there's nothing wrong with all those things. And I'm sure, I, I don't think that God begrudges us some time to, for ourselves to do some of the things. But the thing is, are we, are we disciplined? Are we heedful with our time? And are we circumspect with our time? And are we doing the things that need to be done? Is our time used for God's glory and according to his purpose? Or do we use it selfishly or for our own personal satisfaction? Think about this for a moment. How much time do you waste each day? Hmm? Don't 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 tell me, but maybe maybe on your paper there, jot down just an estimate of how much time you waste each day. You know, on on the internet, uh, watching movies, gossiping on the phone, <laughs> things such as that. How much time do we waste? Time that we could be using. We can make better use of to, to glorify and honor the Lord by, by doing things such as praying. You know, I, I have people all the time tell me, they say, well, you know, I, I, I mean to pray, but then by the end of the day, I, I get everything done. I'm just too tired. Well, that's because you wait until the last moment of the day to, 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 to turn to God in prayer. How about this? When you wake up, make that the first thing you do. You know, Modern conveniences gives us lots of gives me lots of free time in the morning because I can actually set my fix my coffee before I go to bed and set it so that when I when I wake up my coffee is already done I don't have to take the time in the morning to make my coffee it's already made all I have to do is go into the kitchen and pour it and drink it how about how about making use of our time for things such as prayer things such as for things such as studying the Bible studying Scripture. You know, you know the, the the teacher the teacher that teaches the pastor the Bible is the same is the same person that will teach you the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit of God. What do you think of these some of these missionaries, national missionaries we have, like Brother Mwango and men like that, who 
who, who, who gain, gain truth from the Word of God simply by prayerfully studying the Scripture and being led by the Holy Spirit. Hmm? Well, I don't understand God's Word. I, well, do you ever study it? Do you take time to study it? Or are you too busy doing other things? Uh, things such as meditating. You know, we're, we're admonished in Scripture to meditate upon the Word of God. And we're, matter of fact, we're admonished to meditate upon it day and night. All the time. How often, how often do you think of the Word of God? I'm sorry. How often do you contemplate God's Word? Do you just sit down and, and, and think about it and just meditate upon it? These things are important. Witnessing. Good grief. How many people do you meet in a day's time? How many people do you encounter that you, that you could hand a track to or that you could just speak to? We, 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 we waste so much time teaching. Teaching your, your children. Do you know since the 50s? You know, you know who, do you know what the most common babysitter has been since, since the 50s? Anybody know? Television. Yeah. Television. Um, to, here, sit down and watch TV. Huh? Hey, I grew up in the TV, in a, in a TV generation. I know. And, and when our children were born, I found it, I found it easy to just set them in front of a TV and turn the TV on and not take the time to spend with them. Uh, but, but you know what? We're supposed to teach our children, are we not? Scripture tells us to do that. And that takes time. And, and, and we need to use our time during the day to teach our children. I was talking with Lou this morning I, about some of the lessons my old grandpa taught me. My grandpa used to put me in his boat in the morning. We'd go out in the middle of the lake and he'd teach me. He, he would just teach me all kind of life's lessons and things. He taught me how to swim. He didn't even know how to swim, but he taught me how to swim. He threw me off the back of the boat and... Pushed it with the oars a few feet away and said, come on. And every time I get close, he pushed a little further. Come on. He taught me many things. He, but that takes time, does it not? You know, we, we were talking this morning, Lou and I, and I'll take just a moment here. We have all these modern conveniences. We, we, we're advanced as a species as far as, as a people, as far as uh, innovations are concerned and things such as that. And, and certainly the good old days weren't necessarily the good old days when you look at, when you consider things like health and, and things like that. But at what cost, at what cost have we gained all of these advancements? At what cost? Children don't know their parents anymore. They have, they have a better relationship with some teenager across the globe through the, through the internet than they do with their own mom and dad sitting in the next room. There's no more interpersonal relationships. They, they don't exist anymore. They're all virtual relationships. At what cost have we advanced? You see, we need to be heedful. The things we exchange for the time we have may not be wrong things. They may not be sinful things. But they cause us to waste the time that God has given us. And he expects us to do what he has called us to do. And he has given us sufficient time to do these things. So we need to be heedful. This is what it means to, to walk circumspectly. To be heedful of what, what am I doing? Is, is, is this what God wants me to do? And we need to be disciplined. Disciplined enough to deny our own selfish desires and, and keep our hearts and minds focused on what God wants us to do. So, 
That brings me to, to two questions on your study sheet, and I'll be done. Two questions. Question number one, are we heedful of the expectations of God and the consequences attached? Are we heedful of the expectations of God and the consequences attached? And then question number two is this. Are we disciplined to keep God's will first and foremost in our life? Now, I want you to answer those questions, but you can write your answers following the question on the study sheet and be honest with yourself. Are you heedful of the time God has given you? Are you heedful of your behavior? Is it, is it such that honors and glorifies the Father? Is it befitting? Is it becoming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is God's will for your life, the, the most important thing to you, or, or do you push God's will and, and purpose for you aside so you can, you can fulfill your own will? So how are we going to implement the Great Commission in our generation? Well, by walking worthy or befitting of our Father, and then by walking circumspectly, by heeding and, and being disciplined in our life. So those are the things that will help us, I believe, be better witnesses for Christ. All right, folks, I'm going to go ahead and stop here. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.